Uh, pardon, pardon my voice if you're worried that I'm losing my voice or something than I am. I'm getting over some sort of congestion, so I can sing a lot deeper. Really summon my Johnny Cash now. I hope you enjoy that. One of you told me recently you like, you like it when I talk like that. I don't remember who it was. Maybe it's Kyle Peak. Anyway, so we've been going through the book of John, and sometimes as we go through the book of John, we want to take a break and cover what we've covered and also have some sort of practical application because he, here's the thing, uh, and you hear me talk about this sort of thing often, but um, we, we don't just have this ignorant, blind faith. We've said before the Bible is a book of knowledge. God has given us knowledge. Philosophically, he is. That's what he said, Yahweh, 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 back when he talked to to. Um, Moses, he was making a philosophical claim. Uh, and then later, uh, Revelations unpacks that portion where he says, the Alpha, the Omega, who was and is and is to come. Those are philosophical claims that he is beyond your categories of knowledge, but he is still within your boundary of knowledge that he's presented to you, and that knowledge requires action, right? And, and some of that is certainly filled in with faith because he tells us to believe, to trust in him, to hope in him, but there's also knowledge that's there. And so in general, we would understand that knowledge has some sort of culpability to it. You know the phrase, knowledge is power. With great power comes great responsibility, Peter. Right? And so, anyone? Spider-Man? Come on! Only that corner is excited about Spider-Man. That's okay. Uh, maybe I'm moving too fast. I'll have to slow down. I'm still talking too deep for you all. Bring it up here a little bit for you guys. So with great power comes great, so you have knowledge, which is power. And we all know this intuitively. It makes sense. This is why we talk about knowledge and wisdom. We talk about fools. Uh, we talk about how people are just approaching life ignorantly. As John has been pulling us in to make the claim that Jesus has all authority, John wants you to have some culpability for that. He wants you to respond. In fact, all the Bible is about following Jesus, is about worshiping the Lord, and that is only able to be done through Jesus. This is why Jesus comes and says, I'm the life. And if some of that doesn't hit well with you, man, we've got several weeks of unpacking that that you can go back, you can listen online, on the podcast, whatever. But we're going to be approaching this morning with the idea of Jesus having all authority. In John 20, 31, he says, but these things I've written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah, is what he's saying, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. And so we brought this verse up a lot. John's appeal to you is that there is life, and the life that you know is, is probably broken and is actually probably death, and that life has been miscategorized and misdefined to you in such a way that you think you have life, but you don't have life. Because anything short of Jesus having all authority in your life is not life, it's actually death. Anything short of Jesus having all authority in your life is not actually life, it's death. And that's the lie of our culture. It's the lie of our life. That's the lie of you could be like God. You could decide good from evil, as the serpent said in Genesis 3. So Matthew 28, we talk about every week, and a few weeks ago we unpacked this, but Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And remember, I'm with you always, even until the end of time. See, because Jesus has all authority, we obey what he's taught why wouldn't we? <laughs> like, if he has all authority, if he's the smartest guy that ever lived, the best person that ever lived, if he is God, why wouldn't we obey what he said? It's not some rude, blind obedience, some deity that's just trying to enslave us. He has life. He understands why you were created. He empathizes with all of your, your junk, your brokenness, your struggle, and he says, no, no, I have life. 
In fact, so much so I'm going to die so that you may have life. I'm going to resurrect so that you may have life. Only person in history that can make that claim because he's the only person in history that's died and resurrected is actually alive. And so Jesus is saying, hey, I've got life. Why wouldn't you obey me? And then therefore, you're going to go and make disciples. Again, why wouldn't you? If you truly believe he has all authority, how much would you have to hate someone to say, oh, I know God has all authority, but I'm not going to try to make you his disciple because I want you to die and be separated from him. I want you to not know what real life is. I want you to suffer, right? And so you read this, and instead of reading it as this heavy, great commission of like, oh, I'm not making disciples, I'm a big screw-up, I've messed up. Instead, just read it with pure logic. If you really believe Jesus has all authority, if he really has all authority in your life, of course you'd be obeying him. Of course you'd be going and making disciples because you also believe what he said, that he's with you always. There's no, there's no hidden spot that you have. There's no place. In fact, Psalms 139 goes out of its way to say he has searched you and he knows you. You can't hide. God knows you better than you know yourself. He knows you better than your mom and dad. He knows everything. And so... Why would we do this? Well, because he has all authority. The first declaration that Jesus makes here, and the declaration John pushing so far at this point that he has all authority, is pretty hard for us. And, and we want to talk about why it's hard this morning in, in kind of a short, brief, condensed break in John, and then we're going to lead to actually a response. We're going to corporately respond by praying together in the Spirit this morning. More on that here in a minute. But we want to unpack why this authority is so hard for us briefly. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth is given to me. Why is that so hard? Why is it so hard to believe that Jesus has all authority? I submit it's because we're God amnesiacs. That's what happens. We're, we're God forgetters. We completely forget who God is. We don't remember. We are distracted. But, but I think there's something else that's going on there. I mean, it just it take a moment to think through. We did this a couple weeks ago. Does God have all authority in your life? Does he control your pursuits of leisure and vacation that the Westerners value so much. We care so much about our leisure and vacation. Um, if you look at uh, some of the uh, economic news for the last 50 years and the trends of how people accept jobs and get jobs, it's incredible the emphasis on vacation and leisure time and how much we value that and how little we take of it. We really value our leisure time, but we really pride ourselves on the fact that we never use our vacation time because I'm a hard worker. I never need to sleep. I'm busy, 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 right? And so. Does Jesus have all authority over those parts of your life? Does he have all authority over the music you listen to? Does Jesus have a say in who you date or your singleness, your sexual desires? Does Jesus have authority in what you consume, the way you approach alcohol? Does Jesus have authority over the way you sing, the way you treat your spouse, the way you approach dating, the way you approach parenting? Does Jesus have authority in what you eat, in your health? Nah, stop. Those things are, I get, I get some say there. See, that's the issue. Because from the beginning, the devil told us, ah, you could be like God. You could decide good from evil. It's quite hard for us to accept that Jesus has all authority because we've given into this lie that there's this island we live on, and it's just me and Jesus. And on this island with me and Jesus, I can choose to worship Jesus or go eat coconuts when I not want, because it's just me. It's just, my, it's, just, it's just my desire, my attention. Here's something that John is going to unpack for us that we're going to see come up over and over and over that we want to take a break and do a crash course on this morning. We're going to talk about the world. Say the world. The flesh. Say the flesh. The devil. 
the world, the flesh, the devil. Now, if you are a Bible person, if you're a scholar, and you hear that we're going to try to briefly cover that this morning, you understand, yes, that is impossible. And you're already looking at your watch like, man, no way, brah. But we are. We're going to briefly cover it because we're going to come back to these things. These are themes in John. These are themes in all of Scripture. But we want to unpack them because we have this belief, again, that it's just me and Jesus. But actually, when Jesus says, I have all authority, what does he have authority over? Well, he has all authority. Jesus has authority over the world, the flesh, and devil. This is the understanding of Scripture that, that he actually laid claim to an authority that we gave away. We gave away our authority. We gave away our right to rule with him, and we gave it away to evil, to sin, to death. And we're going to see that unpacked. But the reason that you and I struggle so much, the reason we're God amnesiacs, the reason we don't want to believe Jesus has authority, is not just because I struggle and it's just about me, but because we have the world, the flesh, the devil against us. And I submit to you, church, because I love you, you're like me. You're just so arrogant to believe that it's just you. It's just on you. And I hope this morning, by the power of God's Spirit, that he pulls us into a place of recognizing we are so much more powerless than we recognize. There are so many more forces against us. It's not just you. There's the patterns of this world. There's the postures of your flesh. There's the corruption, the lies, the forces of the devil that are consistently against you, against your family. Everyone you know, everyone you love, is not just some spiritually wandering soul that's waiting to be found by Jesus. That's it. They're just a spiritual wanderer. That is a lie, a narcissistic, individualistic, birthing falsehood that came out of our, our Western culture that says, hey, no, 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 it's just you and Jesus, or it's just you. You're just a wanderer. Just do what you want. You're just a wandering spirit. No, no, no. There are several influences that are after us outside of just ourselves. So this morning, we're going to briefly look at each of these things, and then we're going to come together to pray in the Spirit. Can we do that? Is that cool? Cool. Some of you are like, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see where we go with this. This sounds kind of heavy. First, the world. John 3 tells us John uses the word world more than anyone else in the New Testament. So many more times, like, like several. He's like 74, and the next closest is 1 John, depending on what you believe on Johannine literature and who wrote 1 John. The next closest is 1 John, maybe the same guy. And then after that, it's like way less. But he uses this word for God so loved the world. The, he, uh, the Greek word there is cosmos, where we get the word cosmetology, right? And so when you think of cosmetology, what are you thinking of? How beautiful Nathan's hair looks. Fantastic. So then that only happens because of cosmetology, of taking something and putting it in creative order. This is the idea of cosmos cosmetology. You're taking something that's a mess, and you're sitting in someone's chair, and they're ordering it to be the way it ought to be. Yes, you are now beautified, right? And, and the tension with that is that that is the original intention of the word cosmos. And you'll see later on in Scripture that some people start using that same word to say, actually, it's a mess. It's not the ordered, uh, the ordered beauty that God created it to be. There's some adulteration, some imperfection to it. Ephesians 2, we're going to be in Ephesians 2 quite a bit. Paul tells us, Ephesians 2, 1, and you were dead in your trespasses and sin in which you once walked following the course of this world. So then, but what, what, what is the course of this world? Well, it's being dead in your trespasses and sin. It's walking in trespasses and sin that's bringing death. You're walking in the accordance with the course and following the course of this world. Isn't it fascinating that God so loved the world, the ordered cosmos. He loved it. 
all the people in it, so he gave. But now we're seeing what? Paul's saying, hey, this same world, it's disordered, it's disunified, it's creating death, which then answers, well, why did Jesus come to die? Well, because there's patterns of death. 1 John 2, 15 through 17 helps unpack this for us. Uh, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, what is in the world? The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life. Some of your translations will say the lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, the prideful boasting of life. Is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with all its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. See, in Genesis 3, we had this issue that you've heard us talk about a hundred times up here. But see, God created an ordered, perfect cosmos, and he gave it to us to co-rule with him. That's why he, he created and he gave. We talk about this every Sunday, right? Um, and then as a giver, as God gave that to us, we took that authority and we said, no, 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 we want to be like God. We want to decide good from evil for ourselves and insert the trajectory of sin and death over and over and over. And so now the world, the pattern of the world, the posture of the world as you know it, is actually spinning on sin and death. That's what's actually happening, the trajectory. And here, John reminds us, hey, don't love the world because the world is full of just these fleshly desires, more on that in a minute, full of pride, overindulging desires, desire without boundaries. This is the world. It has a structure and a pattern that puts us believing the greatest thing we could do in life. Here's the pattern of the world. The most important thing you could do in life, as the world would tell you, is to maximize your pleasure, minimize your pain, and don't harm anyone else. Whatever makes you feel the best, also whatever minimizes what makes you feel bad and doesn't harm anyone else, this is life. And so in that, there's no check, there's no boundary for anything. We just get to keep pursuing, we keep consuming, we keep spinning on things that ultimately, as the scripture would say, lead us to death. And I love what First uh, John tells us, he says, these things are not from your father. They're not from your father. Your father intends so much more for you than unchecked desire. These patterns of the world that just keep spinning towards whatever you desire you can consume. Don't hurt anyone else, but just keep pursuing it. Keep getting whatever you want. The father has true life in Christ. Jesus has taught us that there's true life in Christ. And, and you might hear this and you might just have this natural tension of, oh, of course, must be like a Baptist pastor to talk about how corrupt the world is. That's fine. Like, you can get all tense about that. We're just going through what Scripture says. And I would just encourage you to take a step back and look at the patterns of the world. Can you find a place in history where humans aren't pursuing um, sex, power, pride? Like, can you find a time when the greatest people we know were not corruptible so easily by sex, money, power, these constant things to consume and take in. And yet, we want to arrogantly believe we're somehow above that. Why? Because we've studied history, and so we're better than them. Because we're above the world, we're in the world, but we're not of it. No, no, no. See, you live in the world. You're here. What lies do you still hold on to? How much of this world that you spend every day breathing in has some sort of pattern to you that could be apart from Christ? This is where the Bible steps and says, hey, hold on. Jesus had to tell us in John 16, I have said these things that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the... 
Jesus wants you to know that he's overcome the world. It reminds me of one of my favorite hymns. Um, we've sang it here a few times. When we do sing it, oftentimes we forget to sing the last verse. I'm going to read the last verse to you. It's called, This is My Father's World. Do you know this hymn? It's one of my favorite hymns. He says, This is my Father's world. Oh, let me never forget that though the wrong seems oh so strong, God is the ruler yet. This is my Father's world. The battle is not done. Jesus who died shall be satisfied when earth and heaven are one. We've showed this uh, thing before, um, an image from the Bible Project. We talked about these concentric circles about how God is overlapping heaven and earth through Jesus Christ. God's desire isn't to obliterate, set fire, and completely destroy the world. He's going to redeem it. He's going to refine it. Fire is a refining concept in Scripture. And so if your whole idea is this world's going to hell in a handbasket, so just forget it, let... Let the liberals cook it all. You're missing it. Because he said to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. It's on your shoulders to follow Jesus, to be bringing it back. It's on your shoulders to be praying in the spirit, to be worshiping King Jesus, to be taking back the grounds against the enemy, against the flesh, against the world. Say, no, no, no. King Jesus has all authority. Not America, not, not, not the big enemies that we throw out there, not the liberals, not the, whatever thing you want to say is the big bad thing. The big emphasis of Scripture is that King Jesus has all authority. And so we're going to take a step back and say, no, no, no. We're going to worship him first. It's my Father's world. Jesus has all authority over this world. The second thing is the flesh. So we've got the world, but then we've got the flesh. We just read about it in 1 John. We're going to read it again. 1 John 2.16. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life. Again, Genesis 3 said you could decide good and evil for yourself. You could you, you could feel it, you could think about it, you could really, whatever you indulge in, you could be like God and make those decisions for yourself. Look back at Ephesians 2. And you were dead in your trespasses and sin, and once you once walked, following the course of the world, among whom, verse 3, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body of the mind. This isn't a hard concept. We're talking about passions of the flesh, desires of the mind. You understand that creatures, like just animals, have done things because they, they can get so carnal, and they can get so in their fleshly desires. I remember so often I would ask my dad, I grew up in the Midwest, and there's certain creatures that as a kid you're like, is this harmful? And so you might look at a possum. Has anyone ever seen a possum? They're disgusting looking right? I, I'm sure there's people in this room that could do a perfect possum noise. I'm not one of them. But when you, when you see a possum, you're like, does this thing bite? Is it going to hurt me? And my dad would have this phrase he'd say, well, if it's cornered. Have you heard that phrase before? So many animals be like, be like I'm turkey hunting. Like, dad, could that tom turkey just like claw me to death? Well, son, any animal if it's cornered. This is kind of our understanding of, of animals in general. If an animal uh, has unchecked desire, if it wants food, if it wants sex, if it, if it feels threatened, it will just devour, destroy. It has no boundaries. This gets us to the understanding of flesh, right? If we had Oreos up here and I said, Hannah, do you love Oreos? She'd say, yes. Who doesn't love Oreos? Who doesn't love Oreos? Yeah, that's what I thought. So, um, weirdos. Everyone knows who you are now. <laughs> so, uh, and I said, here, would you like one Oreo or the entire bag of Oreos? Again, who's going to say, I just want one? I'm limiting myself to one Oreo because I'm watching my carbs and sugar fitness. No, you want the whole bag. And you might lie here in front of everyone because you're so disciplined. But when you've got Oreos in your cabinet and you wake up at 2.30 in the morning to get some water, you're going to eat a sleeve of Oreos. Just me? 
That is just me. I sleep eat. It's a problem. So this is the idea of flesh, though. Bring it back in. So this idea of the flesh is that we have these passions, these desires that get out of control, unchecked. Ephesians 2 tells us we walked in our passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and mind, doing whatever we want. You want homework on this? Write this down, those who are taking notes. Homework. Go read Romans 1. It gives you an unpacking of kind of how this goes and how God responds, handing them over to their lust, to their desires, right? You think about sex, food, drink, pride, arrogance, bitterness, feelings in general, jealousy, anger. All these things come up. It's like, hey, what if those are unchecked? Do you know someone who has unchecked jealousy, unbounded anger, who can't control what they eat? Do you know someone who just really craves sex and it's consumed their life or alcohol? This is when the Bible says, hey, this is the desires of the flesh. We have these desires, all of us. If they're unchecked, they consume us. Who decides when you've had enough? Reminds me of uh, Tombstone, where he tells Doc Holliday, you've had enough. So, Wyatt, I've not yet begun to defile myself. Uh, but this idea like, hey, you don't tell me when I've had enough, Wyatt Earp. I decide when I've had enough. You know those people. We are those people. Who tells us when we've had enough? The Lord. King Jesus has all authority. This is why Romans 6, Paul reminds us, let no sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And your members to God as instruments of righteousness. Again, righteousness is a relationship word. It's not just about doing the right things, although that's, that's submitted there. It's a relationship word. If you want to have righteousness, it will mean having right relationships with God, with yourself, with others. And so when this is saying, don't, don't submit to instruments of unrighteousness, but submit your body to instruments of righteousness, that means your unchecked desires, your struggles, those things are set aside to say, no, 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 I need to use these fleshly desires that come out of me for right relationships with God, with myself, with other people. There's a white, right boundary for sex. There's a right boundary for anger. There's a right boundary for jealousy. God is jealous. We don't know what that is. We don't decide. The Lord decides. He has all authority. If Christ is life, if he's the way, the truth, and the life, then the way we approach every part of our life must hinge on his authority. I approach my marriage differently because Jesus is Lord. I approach money differently because Jesus is Lord. I approach my sexual desires differently because Jesus is Lord. I know people who approach their sexual orientation differently because Jesus is Lord. I approach the, the temptations of my brain, the anger, the uh, in previous parts of my life, suicide ideation, these things that come out, I approach those differently because Jesus is Lord. Our life looks different if we know Jesus because he has authority. Jesus has all authority over the world. He has all authority over our flesh. Lastly, the devil. Say the devil. devil. Say it again like it's scary. Uh, close enough. Yeah, someone nailed it over there. Good job. Again, Genesis 3, the serpent appears later on in the Bible, uh, unpacks that when it mentions it as Satan the devil. That's how we understand. I understand those of you who are scholars and like, whoa, that just says the serpent there. Read the rest of the Bible. The Bible tends to unpack what's happening there in that moment. Uh, Ephesians 2, 1 and 2, again, it says, you were dead in your trespasses and sin in which you once walked, following the course of this world 
following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now work in the sons of disobedience. This is devil, satanic, evil, spiritual force language. This is where Paul's getting us again. Don't have time to fully unpack that. Jesus makes it really plain in John 8, 44. He says the devil's the father of lies. He's the father of lies. He's a better liar than you. Listen, please hear me. The devil is better at lying than you are at recognizing his lies. The devil is better at lying than you are at recognizing his lies. If you hear nothing else, humbly go home, open your hands, and ask, Lord, what lies am I still living in? Because I'm sitting in a position where I watch marriages crush, parenting crush. It doesn't matter how long you've been married. It doesn't matter how great you've been a parent. It doesn't matter how long you've never struggled with your sexual desire, how long you've been, been clean. The devil is the father of lies, and he's better at lying than you are. Open your hands and say, Lord, what lies, what deaths am I still living? This is the whole reason why, we'll talk about this in a few weeks, but in Ephesians, when Paul unpacks all these great things to Christians, he still ends up saying, do not give the devil a foothold. Why? Because as a Christian, the devil can still have a foothold in your life. That's the only interpretation of that scripture. Message me. We'll argue about it. Yes, the devil can have influence over you. I know Christians that still have the weight of evil pressed on them. They're constantly here worshiping Jesus and constantly being thwarted and pushed on by the devil. The devil is the father of lies. He was a liar from the beginning. Genesis 4, 7, follow me here. First time sin's mentioned. God talking to Cain because Abel was not able to stay alive. That's how you remember that. So, God talking to Cain. Sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Sin is crouching at your door. At the end of the Bible, 1 Peter, 1 Peter writes, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. The devil is seeking you, your family, your kids. He's putting sin and temptation on you to kill you. He's wanting someone to devour. None of you are above it. You don't arrive Please quit buying into that lie. This Western, secure, American mentality that says, oh, we're secure because we're the most powerful nation. That's fine. We may be. That doesn't change that the world, the flesh, and the devil are still upon you. Sin is still crouching at your door. The only thing that overcomes such a thing is King Jesus. The only thing that overcomes Satan, sin, and death, the world, the flesh, the devil, is King Jesus. It's not you. If it was you, then Christ died for nothing as Paul would tell us. This is why Jesus taught us to pray. You can say it with me. Matthew 6, 13. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The disciples say, teach us to pray. One of the only things they ask Jesus to teach them. Teach us to pray. Jesus starts with our Father who's in heaven. You start every prayer acknowledging that he's above you. He has all authority. You've got nothing compared to him. And that the most important thing is his kingdom come, his will be done. All prayers start with acknowledging you are above me and your kingdom is what's most important. But the prayer ends with Jesus' words saying, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This wasn't a one-time shot. This wasn't a sinner's prayer. He was teaching you to pray once you have eternal security. That's not what Jesus was teaching. This was an ongoing prayer to say, hey, when you pray, when you consistently pray, you need to acknowledge that there is temptation. There's sin crouching at your door, and you need to be delivered from evil. Thank God for the Lord's prayer. Thank God that Jesus reminded us to pray and remember that there's something, there's other authorities out there trying to distract us, to pull us away. 
James 1, 13 through 15 defines this temptation for us. It says, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil. And he himself tempts no one. I left that in there because someone needs to hear that this morning. God isn't tempting you. Each one is tempted. Each person is tempted when they are lured and enticed by their own desire, flesh. And the desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, gives forth death, brings forth death. Our desires pull us away. First John 3, 8 impacts this, starts connecting all the dots for us. Whoever makes a practice of sinning, meaning that's their ongoing posture. They're walking in death. They're saying, hey, I'm my own authority. I've decided good for evil. I'm going to make a practice of sinning. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. The reason Jesus appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. What are the works of the devil? Lies, sin, temptation, death. You start seeing this connection? When we say Jesus has authority, when Jesus stands for his disciples and says, all authority on heaven and earth is given to me, he's saying, stop looking to the world because Rome has no authority. America has no authority. Russia has no authority. King Jesus has authority. The flesh has no authority. Your passions, your desires, these things that overflow you, throw you, Jesus has all authority. The devil has no authority. He's been defeated. We declare that every day. When we gather in here, every Sunday when we gather to worship, we're declaring evil has no authority. King Jesus has all authority. So, the world, the flesh, and the devil, they all work together to spend temptation, sin, disorder, disunity, chaos, and death. That's what we see over and over in Scripture. You see this in your own life. I don't have to convince you of this. But Jesus says he has all authority. So what do we do? I'm going to tell you what we do, and then we're going to do it together. Does that sound okay? Some of you are, okay, where are you going with this? Ephesians 6. You notice we've been in Ephesians a lot. If you're interested, we're about to do a discipleship series on Wednesday nights for kids about identity in Christ where we go through Ephesians. Ephesians is a book about unity in Christ, about being empowered by the Spirit and being unified by Christ's Spirit to overcome disunity and chaos by looking to Jesus as having all authority. That's the book of Ephesians. And it's one of the most relevant books to the church nowadays because we are so disunified. Um, Not our church in particular, but in general Christians, there's a big struggle with disunity. And I can say as one who shepherds for several years here, disunity is always at our door. Sin is always at our door. There's always something that makes us feel a little disjointed, disconnected, and we have to remember wait, it's Jesus who brings us in. Here's Ephesians 6. Adam read this verse last week. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Your strength? No. The Lord's strength. Be strong in the Lord, the strength of his might. Why? Because Jesus died and resurrected. Because a man claiming to be God died rose again and is now enthroned in heavenly places, claiming to defeat Satan, sin, and death. He is truth. Be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the schemes of the... We don't have time to unpack the armor of God. Uh, You should go look at Isaiah 59. Paul's pulling something here from how there was this armor of the Messiah, and he's kind of connecting the armor of the Messiah that was prophesied to how uh, Roman and Hebrew people would would dress for, for, for military battle, and he's trying to make a connection of, yes, you could say each one of the pieces is important, and that's fine. I'm not trying to say put on the shoes, you know, put on the sword. All those things are important. But Paul's saying, hey, as a collection, all those things are King Jesus. The boots of the gospel are only the boots of the gospel because of King Jesus, 
right? The sword, uh, the, the sword of the Spirit, the word of the Lord, is only that because of Jesus. Jesus said that. The helmet of salvation is only the helmet of salvation because it's the helmet the Messiah wears, as seen in Isaiah 59. So he's saying, put on Jesus so you can stand against the devil. How do you stand against the devil? You put on Jesus. For we do not wrestle, hear this, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Then he unpacks all the uh, armor of God. Because there's all these authorities, cosmic powers, darkness, spiritual forces. Why doesn't Paul just say, schemes of the devil? Why does he list all these things? Because Paul lives in a world we understand it's not just Rome that's bad. It's not just the devil that's bad. There's an entire schema of the patterns of the world around you. Is it possible that there's a, a schema of the job that you have, that evil has so influenced your job that all the people in power, all the system people there are, are just so influenced that, that it's not just that the world's bad, but there's something going on inside that organization that is just influenced by evil. Paul walks into a world and says, yeah, yeah, spirituality is much more deep and powerful than you recognize, and your role is to stand against it in the name of Jesus because you have all the power and authority because Jesus has all power and authority. And so what does he say? Verse 18, you've put on all the forearmor, what do you do? You pray at all times in the Spirit. Say pray. pray. In the Spirit. We put on Jesus, then what? We pray at all times. How? How do we pray at all times? In the Spirit. Acts 1.8 says, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. There is power because Jesus has all authority. Ephesians 1.13, Paul opens up Ephesians by saying, you're sealed in the Spirit of his promised Spirit. It's in you. And we go back to what Jesus says, John 14.26, Jesus says, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and he will bring to remembrance all that I have told you. Church, everyone listening, if we have the world, the flesh, the devil against us, how can we stand? Is it about studying and becoming really smart? Because the Pharisees are really smart, and Adam told us last week that Jesus told the Pharisees who read in John, you search the scriptures and they're not giving you life because Jesus is life. Not just the scriptures themselves, the scriptures are life because they're the words of God, because they're the words professing who Jesus is. So is it possible that your study, your knowledge, isn't really bringing you life? Well, it's not, because King Jesus is life. You don't have authority over sin on your own. You don't have authority over the devil on your own. And, and, and just as a, as a small point of fascination, isn't it interesting that these things just kind of go unchecked and discussed? Is it weird to talk with your friends about demonic forces and evil that may be around? You look like the tinfoil hat crazy, don't you? Wouldn't it be such an interesting ploy of evil to make it so silly that evil exists that Hollywood wants to make a joke about the devil every time the devil comes up? Let's just treat it as silliness. It's, it's a joke. That's exactly how the devil gains lies and power because he's a joke. There's no, there's no reality there. The Bible clearly teaches us the world, the flesh, and the devil are conversing authorities trying to pull us away into death and chaos. But Jesus has all authority. Say, Jesus is everything. As the band comes up, we're going to respond this morning by doing what Scripture tells us to do. We're going to pray in the Spirit. The Bible tells us if you believe in Jesus, if you've given your life to Him, that you're sealed in the Spirit, that His Holy Spirit has entered you. It's also possible that you squelch the Spirit. It's possible that you ignore it. It's possible that maybe the Holy Spirit is a weird, charismatic thing that you try not to deal with, in which case, I love you, you're wrong. 
The Spirit is all over Scripture to remind you that you have a direct connection with the Lord, that you're sealed, that you have power, because Jesus has all authority. And so when Paul tells us to pray in the Spirit, he's recognizing we pray unified together as one body. So this morning we're going to respond to Jesus having all authority by praying together in the Spirit. We've got a time of guided prayer. Here's what's going to happen. Um, we wanted to take a time. Uh, Carrie had presented the idea to me, and we started rolling it out with Bridget, with Tisha, with the shepherds. Uh, we started talking about how could we have a time where we pray over this transitional period. August is a transitional period for everyone because school's starting. And even if you're like, ah, I'm past the whole school life, People you work with, people in your family, a lot of people you rub shoulders with, or just traffic is completely controlled by school starting. It's happening. You are impacted by school starting this week. That's just, it's the reality, right? And our church is directly impacted because we have parents, we have students, we have teachers, we have staff, we have people who are constantly in this environment of school starting. But even beyond that, then we also, as our church, we're starting our church discipleship patterns that pattern alongside the schools with our Wednesday night volunteers, um, led by Carrie and Miss Bridget as they go through uh, Identity in Christ. There's several things we want to be praying about together. And so as the band begins to play, we're going to start kind of guiding how we can pray about these things together. And, and I want to just push back for a minute on, on if you think maybe this, this isn't for you. You recognize that all these kids that are going to school this week, that, that one day they'll have voting power, that one day they'll be potentially your boss. We've all had stories of the younger person who got the job and now some kid's my boss. One day these kids will have authority. Will that authority be looking to King Jesus or will that be controlled by the world, the flesh, the devil? Maybe you're a, uh, a private school person. You're like, see, I do private school and homeschool so I don't have to deal with this stuff. Uh, answer me this. Does, does the public school still impact your life? Yes. Does King Jesus need authority over your homeschool, over your private school? Yes. Can the world, the flesh, the devil impact your, your precious private school or your homeschool? Yes. Does the world, the flesh, the devil impact the public school system? Yeah. So we're going to come together and we're going to pray this morning. If you would stand, you're going to catch the pattern really quickly of how we do this. There's going to be a slide up for parents. If you're a parent of someone going to school, if you're a parent of someone impacted by the school system, will you raise your hand right now? Leave it high. Raise it up. Church, look around. During this time, you have a couple opportunities. You can just pray for those people at a distance. You can move to pray with them should you feel led and desired. This is a script for you. This is written in a voice so that you can pray to the Lord if you're just not someone who has words, you don't know how to pray, right? But again, if you're a parent, raise your hand. These are people we're praying for right now. The band's gonna play. We're gonna have a time, uh, 90 to 120 seconds, however the Spirit leads, of silent time of prayer. You move, you pray for these people, you can read this slide, then we're gonna worship together. And then we're going to move to the next slide to continue praying together. This is your time to move and pray with parents. Take time to move and pray right now.